morning. Can you guys hear me? Hello? My check. There we go. How's everyone doing this morning? I'm glad you guys were able to make it to bear brave the cold weather. It's been a, a bitter, bitter week. I'm happy to be here with you guys. I'm glad that you guys are here. If this is your first time, welcome to Faith Bible Fellowship. Please feel free to hang out after. Introduce yourself to someone, anyone you've seen up here. We'd love to get to meet you, shake your hands, and just get to know you guys a little. Like like Jason said, my name is Ricardo, and I've been one of the um, guys that's been asked to just preach for the next couple couple months. So I'm glad to be here. I'm excited. I had a whole intro ready, and then Jason was trying to encourage me this morning and just kind of shot down completely. No, but he did. He did talk. It was great. But um, I just we're going to be continue going through our series in James. We're just kind of just going through the book, and so this week we'll be in James three. We're excited to be there. We all remember the, the phrase we probably heard as growing up: um, "Sticks and stones may break my bones." Thank you. I'm hoping that worked out that way. And we, we hear that growing up. We teach that to our kids. And truth is, we want to believe that, but but that's not necessarily the case. We know that 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 words actually do matter. That if we're not careful with the things that we say. Or, or, or things that we, the way we treat other people, that, that sometimes our words can be very hurtful. And as much as we, we want to believe that's true, as much as we want to say that, that words don't affect us, we see the case in our culture today where, where these cases of bullying goes on and, and people are led to, to, to harm themselves and sometimes in some cases even take their lives because, because of words and things that, that are being said to them. And so we, if we've been through life, any bit, we, we know that um, our words have consequences. They can heal, but they can also hurt. They can build people up, but they can also tear things down. And so we find ourselves in a passage today in James 3 where, where James is talking about that. The first part of James 3, he's talking about learning to tame the tongue. And, and we see that, that this is something that he's calling all followers of Christ to do, to just Watch what you say, or even just take some time out at the beginning before speaking to just seek God and seek wisdom from above and speaking. So we're going to be, um, like I said, we're going to be in James 3. So if you want to turn there for me, we can read that together. Now, we're reading the whole, the whole chapter, all 18 verses, so bear with me. I have um, in my Bible, I got permanent marker in here. I happen to leave, left my Bible open. And my son decided he wanted to take permanent marker and kind of highlight some things for me. So if I stumble in some areas, it's because I can't really see what's being said because my son decided he was going to highlight for me using permanent marker. But starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father God, we, we come before your throne of mercy and your throne of grace. We throw ourselves at your feet, Lord. We, we come seeking your wisdom, Lord. We come seeking after you, Lord. We come asking for you to make us pure, Father God. We ask that you be with us today as we spend the next several moments looking at your word and studying your word, Father God. We ask that you eliminate any distractions. Lord, that if there's anything that, that our mind is on, that for the next several moments you clear our minds and allow us to receive and hear your word, Father God. We ask that you come and convict us where we need to be convicted, Father God. Allow us to be open to your spirit, Lord, open to the fact that, that we're not perfect, Father God, open to the fact that no matter where we are in life, there's always work to be done within us, Father God. So be with us, Father Lord. Be here today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my hearts be edifying to this, this congregation. In your name we pray. Amen. So we see James starts off just in verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. When I read this, one of the first things that comes to mind is, is we have to rejoice in where God has us. A lot of times what happens is we allow jealousy or, or we allow some selfish ambitions to, to creep into our lives because truth is we want to be somewhere where God doesn't want us to be at. We, we aspire to have positions of, of authority in a sense. Um, the King James translation translates teachers as masters. Not many of you should become masters. This idea, um, there was people in, in the church at this time who were seeking a higher place of authority, who were seeking to have some type of influence over, over people. And the truth is, is they probably had no business in those positions. 
They ultimately did not have a calling from God to be there. But they were seeking these things out. And James is saying, don't you realize that those who teach, those who are masters, those who have some type of greater influence are held to a different standard, are judged with greater strictness. This idea of, um, as Luke twelve forty eight says, to whom much is given of him, much will be required. This idea that, that if you aspire to be these things, if you aspire to have some type of influence into a greater position, then at the end of the day, God is expecting more from you. You are judged with a greater strictness, as it says here. Oftentimes this happens because people did not understand the full responsibility, the full outworking of the office that they were seeking, of the position that they were seeking. And they're not seeking God first. And they're seeking it out of, as, we, as we'll read later on, out of their own selfish ambition. And James uses the first person. He understands that in his position, he also will be judged with a greater strictness according to, to how he rules over people, according to how he judges and how he leads people. We see this. We, we, we see this played out in the secular world too. We always held athletes or celebrities or people in power with a lot of money to a greater to a greater standard, right? I, I'm reminded of um, Charles Barkley back in the early '90s where he says, "I am not your kid's role model." But what happens is when people have an influence, when people are placed in there, we expect more from them. We do that just within ourselves. And there's merit to that because God says, if you are a teacher, if you are a master, if you have any type of influence, you are judged with a greater strictness. So, so be, be humble, be cautious in your pursuit of that. Ultimately, just rejoice in where God has you because God has you right where he wants you to be. Moving on verse 2. You desire and do not have, well, sorry. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Simply this idea, we all sin. We all stumble. At some point, we all fall short of of the glory of God, and we all need to come before God, repenting of those ways, repenting of the sins, repenting of the fact that we do stumble. Once again, James uses the we here. We, for we all stumble in many ways. James includes himself. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, if you're able to control your tongue, if you're able to tame your tongue and watch what you say and use discernment and use the wisdom from above and how you speak, then James says he is perfect and also able to bridle his whole body. In other words, if you are able to control your tongue, then you should be able to, to restrain your body from, from sinning. You should be able to, to keep yourself from, from stumbling even more. This idea, and he goes on in verse 3 and 4, and he shows just how, how powerful even a small, small body part, a small organ like the tongue can be. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. This idea that, that oftentimes small objects can control big things. That the tongue can have a greater impact over us 
then we realize that sometimes the tongue controls how we think and how we act. And he's warning against not being able to tame that. Not realizing that, that we need to, be first and foremost, come before a holy God and seek repentance and seek guidance and seek wisdom from him. Because if not, then you allow your tongue to control you, to lead you ways that, that probably you, you're not supposed to be at. He goes on in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Boast of great things. One of the biggest problems, one of the biggest issues with, with, with our words, with, with our tongue, is, is pride. We are prideful people. And, and if we're not careful, it, our tongue could lead us down a path where we're just going down that path because of our pride. Because we're not checking what we're saying. We're not discerning everything that comes through the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's the idea of your, our tongue writes a check that we just cannot cash. But our tongue takes us places and leads us down paths that, that ultimately we're not ready for and ultimately leads to destruction. An untamed tongue can lead towards destruction. It leads towards hurt. The second point today is the tongue cannot be controlled without the Holy Spirit. Without God, without seeking the wisdom of God first, the wisdom that comes from above, we cannot learn to control what we say. We cannot learn to, to tame the tongue. He says in verse 6, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among us, our, our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. We read earlier in, 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 in chapter 1 of James, in verse 26, that anyone thinks he is a religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. This idea that in order to have faith, in order to grow in our relationship, in our, in our wisdom with Christ, we have to first and foremost be willing to control and tame the words that come out of our mouth, the way that we react James here, he describes the tongue as a world of unrighteousness. That the tongue, therefore, it is corrupted. And it stains the whole body. And we see this, right? People are judged according to what they say. There's been times where, where I've been in classes or I've met someone and I, and I, go, and I go into that thinking, oh, this is a good person. This may be fun. And in the moment they open their mouth, I'm like, oh, no, that's not, that's not the case. And oftentimes, our, our tongue, what we say, determines what people say. And, and, and it gets us in trouble. We, we live today in, in this world of social media, of, of Facebook and Twitter, and, and we see just about every other week someone having to come out and, and either resign from, from their post or someone coming out having to make an apology for something that they posted on, on Twitter or on Facebook or on Tumblr or whatever it may be. And we realize that, that an uncontrolled and untamed tongue, the things that we say unchecked, oftentimes leads 
us into an area where we don't want to be. An area where ultimately we have to first seek repentance from God and then go before other men who we may have offended and seek their forgiveness. And I'm not talking about this, we have to be careful. I'm not talking about this political correctness that, that we live in. But I'm talking about, first and foremost, we speak. We don't speak without searching after God. We don't speak first without praying, without reading our words, without reading the word of God. Ultimately, what, what James is getting at here is that the untamed tongue is not of God. It's not a quality. It's not a characteristic of, of, of a Christian. If, if you're calling yourself a follower of Christ, then you shouldn't have an untamed tongue. We see here that the tongue cannot be controlled by humans. That man, even though we've been able to subdue the earth and we've been able to, to live out what, what, what we're called to in Genesis, the one thing we cannot control is our tongue. He says in verse 8, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That by our own strength, we cannot, no matter what we may think of ourselves, no matter how we may feel, we cannot control our tongue. That in order for us to live according to that way, that we have to first live in submission to God. Submission to his will, submission to the ways of God. Without that, there is no controlling the tongue. There is no taming it. He says the tongue is full of evil and full of, of poison. This idea that ever since sin entered to, into this world through Adam, we have been totally depraved, that, the, that we are corrupted to our core, that there's nothing about us outside there's nothing about us that seeks to please God. That only those who are regenerate, who are seeking out towards God, who are trying to submit to God, are able to, in some way, tame their tongue. We read, read this, Paul says in Romans 3, 10 through, 8, 10 through 18, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace that they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. We see that because of sin entering this world, we are unable to seek God. That without God first calling us and first pulling us out of our own misery, out of our own wretchedness, we don't seek after God. So why, why do we sometimes think that we're able to, to do things without God? Why are we able to think that we're able to tame our tongues, that we're able to, to please God outside of God? That's just not the case. And so because the tongue is full of poison, full of evil, this is why James in, in, one, in chapter 1, verse 19 through 21 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, 
put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James is just building on his argument that, that we need to be first quick to hear. Why? Because our tongue is full of poison, full of evil. He understands that, that without God, we're unable to do the things that please God. That we need to be searching after God. We need to be looking for God, reading his word, spending time in prayer. And it is only through those things that we're able to learn and grow in the qualities of God. That's only in those things that we're able to grow in our patience. We're able to slow down in our anger. So James is saying, be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger, because he knows what, it, what happens. He knows what we're able to do if we don't. The dangers of the tongue. We have to be careful with, with what we intake at times. I know for me, I grew up in the early 90s. I loved listening to hip-hop music. That's what I grew up listening to. And every so often, there's days now where, where I'll turn on the radio or I'll try to put on a CD that I remember listening to when I was younger. And if I'm not careful, if I don't go into that prayerfully, I, I start to notice how that, that starts to affect my, my mood, starts to affect my mind. I maybe become more quick to anger, driving in the car, and because of the music that I'm listening to, I realize that, that I'm, I'm cursing the people who are trying to cut me off, things that I usually don't do because of what I'm allowing to, to impact me. Matthew 12:34 says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we have to be cautious. We have to be aware of, of what we're allowing to infiltrate our, our lives, what we allow, what we bring in. Because ultimately what we bring in, the things we watch, the things we hear, the things we read, ultimately will show itself in our actions or in our words. And if we're not careful, we could do real damage with our words. We can do real damage with, with, our, with our actions. As he says in verse 5, how great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. If, if, we're not, if we're not careful with what we say, if we're not careful with, with, with our actions, they can bring destruction to, to people, to our own lives, or, or whatever it may be. He, he notes here in verses 9 and 10 that, that we are able to somehow, we praise God one instance. We praise God in his creation, then we curse it in the next. And he notes that this is basically hypocrisy at its finest. That we can be in church singing praises to God, saying amen with the pastor, lifting our hands, singing worship songs. And the moment that we walk out that door, we start to curse man. We start to curse curse things that, that God has set. He, he, he notes here, um, Genesis 1, 26-27, that man is made in the likeness of God. We can come here, praise God for his creation, then in turn, with that same tongue, curse that same creation. And ultimately, it's because the question is, what are we pumping ourselves? What are we allowing? What are we intaking throughout the week that we can just come on a Sunday, praise God, and then the first thing we do as soon as we leave the doors is sin and curse Curse man and curse, curse God's creation. If we're not careful with what we intake, if we're not spending time throughout the week in prayer, reading God's word, then ultimately what good is it that we come here? 
We have to be supplementing what we receive on Sundays throughout the week. And that's how we learn. That's how we can grow. One commentator put it this way. When the act of devotion is over, the act of slander or outrage or insult commences. That, that it, Just how quick we're able to step foot outside the church and curse God's creation. And we've been we've been at church long enough that we've probably seen this by our parents. We've seen this. We've probably done this, and we understand that this is a very real thing. That James isn't just talking out of wind, but but that sometimes this is even evident in our own lives. And James, I, I see in, in, in ten, James kind of makes makes a plea with his brothers. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, I feel like James is pleading here. These things ought not to be so. That this is not how a follower of Christ should act, should be. That it's unnatural. He uses, um, in verses 11 and 12, he goes on. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce, produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. That it's, it's unnatural for, for a tongue to work this way, for a tongue to be in church, praising God, and then in turn, as soon as they step out the doors, curse man. That's not how it should be. It's not the way it's meant to function. But because of sin entering the world through Adam, we're unable to, to tame our tongue. We're un, unable to control the things that we say, the things that we, we do or act. And he's just, he's trying to show just how unnatural that, that if this is how you live, if this is true in your life, then we have to be trying to do something to, to fix that. That this isn't how it's meant to be. This isn't the way God designed it. But because of sin entering the world, this is what happens. Because we're totally corrupted to our core, that without God, Things don't function the way they do. That, that what happened at creation is that ultimately the world was flipped upside down and nothing is working the way it should be. So the question is how, how do we do this? How do we learn? How, how can we tame the tongue? And we see that, that it's through true wisdom. It's through wisdom from above as we'll see in verses 13 through 18. I want to make note here that that true wisdom is seen in our actions, not in our knowledge. Not in what we know, not with how much we might have read, but it's seen in how we act. Verses 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show you his works in the meekness of wisdom. We see here that in verse 13 that according to James... Wisdom from above, true wisdom is not about what we know. It's not about what we can memorize. It's not about how many books we've read or how well we can articulate ourselves. But true wisdom is how we conduct ourselves. It's how we behave. It's how we treat other people. Meekness. He uses the word meekness here. He says, works in the meekness of wisdom. And this idea of 
In, in this verse, he's getting at a calm and temper of mind. Someone that's not easily provoked. Someone who, who perhaps is, is gentle and kind or who shows refrain or some type of restraint in certain situations. It's not this idea where in this time of culture they would have um, seen meekness as a weakness. No, James and, and, and when Jesus in the Bible talks about meek, it's talking about a strength, a good quality within God. I would like to quote John Piper here because he'll say it better than I can. Meekness does not mean the absence of passion and conviction and even indignation of the glory of God. But it does mean that we don't have hair triggers. It does mean that our disposition is one of readiness to listen and learn. It does mean that we are slow to write a person off, slow to condemn, slow to anger. Let us be wise as serpents and as innocent as droves in discerning what is meekness and what is pride. Simply put, meekness is learning to trust God more. That meekness, in order for us to be meek, it requires us to kind of slow down and not be so reactionary. That it, it, that it requires us to, to take time, instead of responding, to take time and just pray before God and seek God's wisdom, seek his guidance through a situation instead of just reacting and saying what comes to mind. That meekness revolves, as it says in James 119, it's revol- it revolves, it means slow to anger. And so we, as we go on through the rest of the passage, we kind of see what wisdom is not and what wisdom is. Verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be this order in every vile practice. So we see what wisdom is not. Wisdom is not jealousy. It's not yearning for what is not ours. Sorry, it's yearning for what is not ours. It's looking at something or at someone who's in a different situation and wishing that we had that. This isn't the type of, of jealousy that, that um, the Bible describes of God. This isn't the characteristic of God. This isn't that type of jealousy. It's not the type of jealousy that espouses half for one another, which is really the only time that jealousy is right in this life. No, the type of jealousy that James is getting at here is, is the type of jealousy that violates the Tenth Commandment, that is coveting what is not yours. This is the type of jealousy that, that James is trying to get at. That it's not a righteous character. It's not a quality of a Christian. He also says that wisdom is not selfish ambition. Wisdom is not self-serving. It's not this cutthroat idea that I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I want, to get where I want to be, or to, to deceive people into thinking what they want to think of me. It's not this idea of willing to do whatever it takes to get what you want, no matter who's hurt in the process. That, that, that selfish ambition is a very, very dangerous thing. Philippians 2, 3-4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look into his, not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. 
And we see uh, earlier in, in the book of Philippians, the chapter before, Paul says that there's people who proclaim Christ for their own selfish ambition to afflict Paul while he was in prison. We realize that, that selfish ambition is one of the most dangerous things, one of the most dangerous qualities a Christian can have. Because it says, I don't care about other people. I'm going to do what I need to do to get ahead. I'm going to do whatever it is to get a leg up, to get what they want. The dangers with selfish ambitions is that people will get hurt. That in order to get ahead, damage has to be done. Destruction has to happen because you only care about yourself and not about the body of Christ. Ultimately, you're not content with where you are, so you want to seek something that that God doesn't have for you. And you're going to do whatever it takes to get ahead. And and we see that, that James feels pretty strongly about this about this type of wisdom that's not from above, but it's ultimately, he says in verses 15, that this wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That this type of wisdom that that, that comes out of the sense of bitter jealousy, that comes out of this idea of selfish ambition, this wisdom acts Wisdom that acts this way is not from God. It does not come down from above. It is not from the heavenly realm. It is utterly, as James says, it's demonic. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's not from God. Ultimately, those who act out because of this are are not acting out according to God. It is not behavior that comes down from heaven. It is behavior that is seen in our wickedness. And ultimately, this type of wisdom destroys. That, that jealousy and self-abision, these are Satan-driven. These are, these are qualities that, that, that the enemy wants us to have. The enemy wishes we, we would implore more. And so when we have this idea of, of jealousy or selfish ambition, oftentimes there is this order, there is chaos, there is unstable, or there is a restless amongst those people. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be this order, every vile practice. That where, where these exist within a person or, or within people, that ultimately there is chaos. That, that we don't, in, these situ, in those situations, that the Spirit of God is not present. Because no one is willing to check themselves in and try to seek God. Seek the wisdom that comes from above and not from within ourselves. James goes on to show what wisdom from above is. You know, implying that this, is, this wisdom that comes from God, that, that comes down from the heavenly realm, is first and foremost pure. It's free from everything that is earthly, everything that is carnal. Ultimately, this, this type of wisdom is only possible in those who are regenerate, in those who God has pulled out of their mess, in those who God is seeking to, to give them the strength to get by, that only those people are able to have wisdom from above. Only those people are able to have wisdom that is pure. And once we have that wisdom, once, once we have the wisdom from above that is pure, we then have wisdom that, that is peaceful, peaceable. 
Wisdom from above, wisdom that is pure, wisdom that seeks peace. Or those are people who are aligned with the characteristics of God. Those are people who who are showing the fruit of the Spirit, who who are bearing fruit in their life. Wisdom cannot be pure. It cannot be peaceable if there is no yearning after God. If we are not first seeking God and seeking his ways and we're not praying and we're not falling to our knees asking God to give us discernment, to give us wisdom. If we're not yearning after God and we don't have true wisdom from above. If there is no submission to God and his ways. If you're not repenting when we sin. If you're not praying, then you can't have true wisdom from above if you're not seeking after God. He goes, he says, it is first pure, then peaceable. This idea that it's free from strife, it's free from disorder. That in order for, for wisdom to be peaceable, it means that it's no longer looking to create divisions. It's not looking to hurt. It's not looking for their own selfish ambition. It's looking to bring peace to a situation. It's looking to, to bring people together, not separate them. In other words, this idea that wisdom is peace, that pure wisdom, that wisdom from above leads to peace. It's the polar opposite of selfish ambition. It is not contentious. As John Calvin would say, that wisdom from above, pure wisdom is not contentious. He goes on, first pure, then peaceable, gentle. That that wisdom from above is not prideful. They approach people in situations in a delicate manner. They they understand the the, the severity of the situation. They understand that, that they can ultimately, the things that they say or the things that they do can lead to destruction, that can destroy people. And so they approach situations with a gentleness. Knowing that, that, that ultimately they could do some real damage. He goes on. That wisdom from above is open to reason. That for a person to be wise. That the wisdom that comes down from God. Is a wisdom that leads people willing to hear from other people. Willing to talk with other people that they don't just shut down at the first moment of disagreement. As soon as someone doesn't agree with them, they don't just end the conversation. But they're open to talk. They're open to listen to people. Wisdom from above is full of mercy and good free, good fruits. That, that, that wisdom from above is ultimately, it shows compassion for other people. We don't just think the worst of other people. But we try to understand and we we give them mercy and we show them mercy through our words and through our actions. The wisdom from above is good fruits. It means that that, that, that they're probably serving those who are less fortunate. They're, they're, They're showing grace and mercy to the poor. They feed the hungry. They clothe the naked. They visit the widows and the fatherless. Wisdom from above is seen in our actions, not in what we know. That it does not matter if you can remember the whole Bible from front to back. 
It does not matter how many books you've read. True wisdom is seen in the, in the works of man. It's seen that people align themselves to God and they seek after God. They yearn for the heart of God, that they have a compassion for people, that they love people. They don't want to create any type of dissension, that they want to bring unity to a situation. It's full of mercy. He goes on and says, it's impartial and sincere. Or as, as the King James would say, it's without hypocrisy. This idea, we looked at what it meant to be partial or impartial a couple of weeks ago when we were going through James 2. It's this idea that, that wisdom from above ultimately shows everyone the same respect. That they're not like the people who James was talking about in 2, that, that judges people according to what they see, according to what they're wearing but that they show everyone the same type of respect. Verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Godly wisdom, wisdom from above, seeks to make peace. And they will profit from making peace. Wisdom from above, wisdom that comes down from God should lead to maturity in the Christian. Should lead, lead the Christian to be closer aligned to the will of God. That they're no longer seeking their own desires. They're seeking after God and, and, and they're asking God, what do you want in this situation? What am I supposed to do, God? I, I want to seek after you. This is the discernment that comes only from knowing, only from being connected to God. Only from, from reading your Bible, from studying your word, from spending time in prayer. We cannot be connected to God if we neglect those things. We cannot be connected to God if we neglect coming together as, as a people. Wisdom from above is first and foremost pure. First and foremost, it's concerned with the things of God, not the things of this world. It's con- wisdom from above takes a back seat to our own things that we want, our own selfish ambition, and seeks after God. My prayer is that we all, we all grow in this wisdom, that first and foremost we realize that, that we don't have it all together, that every day, as he says, we all stumble, we all fall short of the glory of God, we all are in need of the same forgiveness that God offers, we all are in need our need of falling before our knees and repenting before a holy and righteous God and asking God to take hold of our lives, asking God to transform us, to lead us down the right path. Let us pray. Father God, we we are falling, we are a broken people, Father God. Our first, our first instinct isn't to search after you, isn't to, to go for the things of, of God, but it's to, to sin against you. It's to put things above you in our lives, Father God. Our first inclination isn't to seek after you. It's to seek what we feel is right, what we feel like we, what we deserve, Father God. Humble us, Lord. Meet us where we're at. Convict us of the things that we need convicting, Lord. Change our hearts, Father God, so that we are more like you. Be with us.
Lord, help us seek the wisdom, the pure wisdom that comes from above, Lord. Not our own selves, Lord, but help us seek after you. In your name we pray. Amen.